0: back to another episode of the den tapes where i feed your addiction for horror fiction sit back relax and let's see if we can give you another case of the heebie jeebies This week's episode will contain some content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Today's story is called Rosin Up Your Bow. The musk rising off Harold's skin had a certain sweetness to it, the kind of aroma that heightens the senses when you cut into a perfectly cooked, juicy pork chop. At least, to Harold, that's the smell he associated with the blood on his forearms and hands in the blistering heat. The heart had been a little more difficult to remove than he had expected, but he knew once it was out, his troubles were almost over. This was the final required material for the rebuild. He already had the blood, the goat innards, and the rattlesnake shaker dried and ready. All he needed was the pig's heart that was resting in his hand. The voice he had come to love more than anything in the world whispered into his ears as he made the final slice, releasing the heart from the chest cavity. Sweet boy, it's almost time for the raising. Harold smirked as he held the heart up to inspect it in the hot Texas sun the blood running down his skin, matting the thick hair on his forearms, dripping from his elbow and splatting into the dirt below. He thought to himself he should have been more careful about killing one of Dale Trainer's hogs, but he knew Dale was on his weekly run into the city to pick up grains. He pulled out the leather pouch that he had tucked in his belt and stuffed the warm, almost still beating heart into it. The strings are to be made next, the voice said. Harold felt a hand rest upon his shoulder. It was a hand that was not there, but to Harold, she had always been there, even though he watched her body be lowered six feet into the ground a decade earlier. She never left his side. Harold was the last surviving member of the Belfour family. At 28 years of age, he had spent most of his life reading the Bible, playing the fiddle, and watching his grandmother, mother, and sister perish untimely deaths. As for his father, who was responsible for his sister and mother dying, Harold had killed him, much like he just killed the hog lying at his feet and for the same purpose. His grandmother's voice pierced the air one more time. Once they were shown they will be again. Part two. The sound of the ticket machine would not stop. Tickets were spilling out with no hope of catching up. One after another continuing on like some psychedelic rock song from the 70s just beating along with the same rhythmic annoyance. This made Val taking a huge breath. Everything will be fine in 40 minutes, she thought to herself. She had taken a job working salad station at a local restaurant during lunch hours to help bulk her savings account. What she had not expected were how many fucking salads she would be making during the lunch rush. It was an easy job, mostly just chopping and assembling ingredients, but the sheer volume of salad consumers was bewildering on most of her shifts. A month into the job, the chef had told her that she was kicking ass. What the chef could not read on Val's stone-cold face of concentration was how overwhelmed she felt. Day in and day out, she would be completely destroyed physically and mentally by 2.30 p.m. when her shift ended. This hindered her creative venture, her true passion. The reason she was saving thousands upon thousands of dollars. The reason she could take the emotional lashings of salad preparation during peak lunch hours. During most of her college years, Val's interest in the creation and formulation of classical music took her by storm. When she was younger, she had dabbled in parent-forced piano lessons and she had assumed that's where it all began. She hated playing piano so much that she begged her parents to allow her to begin violin lessons instead, something she took to quite easily. By the time she hit her early 20s, she found herself mesmerized by how violins were crafted. The meticulous choosing of the wood, the precision of the cuts, the intricate details that went into creating something so wondrous. She was hooked. During her first year at the university, Val was able to talk herself into what some would call an internship at a local music shop. That dealt heavily with local schools renting out musical instruments. Val became engrossed in polishing, tuning, and altering violins. It was a time she looked upon favorably as she tossed croutons into a bowl with chopped romaine. Here now, the blistering sound of the ticket machine cut through her memory with fiery vengeance. I hate this fucking saladmonger job, she thought to herself. But she knew it was one of the best paying jobs she could find, having the limited skill set she held. "Uh, You make violence perfect for people. I bet you'll be great at making salads, the chef had said to her during her interview. It made sense then, but now it was nothing more than a ruse. At least that's how Val saw it. She figured a year working would give her savings account a big enough boost in order to procure the tools she needed begin making her own violins. She just had to tough it out, not something she was particularly fond of, but she did it anyway. Being wiped out from working lunches at the restaurant was putting a strain on her other job, moonlighting in a small violin shop that opened in the wake of the local guitar center moving into town. That local mom and pop shop where she worked before the salad tech job had succumbed to the rigors of capitalism's finest ploy, bigger, stronger, faster. Guitar Center had more to choose from, had a larger staff and had a plethora of ways to open a line of credit, a far cry from the layaway programs of old. The place she considered a home away from home closed their doors after 41 years of musically servicing the community. It didn't take long for a Guitar Center to squeeze that last bit of clientele away from them, rendering the bills too high to pay and the stockroom too empty to fill. To add insult to injury, most of the backstock was sold to the goons at Guitar Center at a loss. But one thing did come out of the deal that worked in Val's favor. Her mentor, Garfield Shue, the violin luthier from the store, had ventured out and opened his own shop. Garfield offered her a place on his small roster of staff, but the money was barely enough to eat on. Val also held a chair in a local orchestra playing violin that garnered a little bit of extra cash, but the time came to find something more stable in order to pay the bills. Caesar salads and tuna crudo were her main income now, and she had to grin and bear it. She still fiddled with violins in the evenings over at Shoes violin workshop, but today, all she looked forward to was a hot shower and a lumpy couch where she would fire up Netflix. As the tickets slowed in their succession, Val gleefully but tiredly began to tidy up her station for the night guy to take over. With a little more than 20 minutes left in her shift, even cleaning seemed rushed and stressful. She slung her dirty towel into the hamper and washed her hands. The hair, loosened from her hair tie and fell into her face, and instinctively, she raised her wet hand to clear it off her face, inciting anger. At the end of a busy lunch shift, even the slightest inconvenience, in this case a wet hand on the face, can set anyone off. Val steadied her anger and cooled her head as the thought of a fresh pint of pilsner on the house rushed into her mind. The dispenser above the sink jutted out brown paper towels. She dried her face and hands, tidied her hair and untied her apron, discarding it into the same hamper as her soiled towel. The everyday pleasantries were exchanged with the night crew. Need more of this, have plenty of that. After downing the delicious pint of Pilsner, Val was gliding down the street on her bike. She rode past Shu's violin workshop and dinged the bell on her handlebars. Old Man Shu, she refused to call him Garfield, waved as she soared along the storefront. Old Man Shu allowed Val to work any time she liked, but no more than 20 hours a week. It was all he could afford. During a drunken stupor one evening, The thought of applying for a job at Guitar Center crossed Val's mind. She thought of how ass-backwards that would be, and also of how devastated Old Man Shoe would be. With the clarity that comes with being hungover, she was able to discern how idiotic the thought had been. As for today, she would not be coming in. An unwatched season of Dexter and Delivery Pizza called her name. She'd be fast asleep by nine, the world around her would fade away, and the alarm clock on her phone would jostle her awake at 5.45 a.m. She would shower, slam a smoothie, bottled, not fresh, and mount the bike for her trek to the restaurant. For now, this had to do, but she would be damned to work in the service industry for the remainder of her formidable years. Val was determined to become a violin maker, She knew it would take years to become even the slightest bit good at it. But the sooner she could stop slinging salads at the hip local restaurant, the sooner she could begin her journey of creating musical instruments of the highest form, one Caesar salad at a time. Part three, old man Shu glared over his glasses and welcomed Val with a warm smile and a wave. Hey there, kiddo, wanna learn how to stain today? Val smiled and nodded enthusiastically. With her messenger bag still affixed to her back, she walked over and asked, "'Uh, what's that you're doing?' Old man Shu explained, "'I'm coating the wood with a 4% sodium nitrate solution. Once the wood is covered, I'll take the violin and put it in the west-facing window, the sun. It'll do the rest.' He smirked with pure pride, and then with gloved hands, he held up the glistening violin to show Val. She walked over to the rear of the store with him where there was a large bay window. He placed the violin on a thin stand, and as he turned to her, the gloves snapped while he took them off. She'll be a bit darker tomorrow morning, hoping for a nice deep color. Then we'll put the finishing coat on to make her shine. When they returned to the workbench, old man Shu showed her how to make the nitrate solution. Val scribbled down notes and drew a few different sketches. I am quite impressed with how seriously you have been taking this whole thing. Learning this craft ain't easy by any means, but I'm thrilled to teach you. Although I'm just a small-time tinkerer, you know that. You wanna learn the old world ways, you'd find yourself in some village over in Italy, I suppose. Old man Shu snickered and pointed to the phone book. Wanna order some Chinese tonight? My treat, he asked. Val found his lack of catching up with the rest of the world when it came to technology endearing. To appease his old habits, she used the shop phone to call in an order instead of ordering from her phone screen. The remainder of the night, they snacked on fried rice and sweet glazed fried chicken while polishing up a few more violins for pickup. When the shop lights went dead and she rode off, Val found herself fantasizing about traveling to Italy, getting her hands dirty in some old stone-clad building built 200 years ago nodding and grinning when she understood the directions even though she had no grip on the Italian language. Sitting on her lumpy couch with her legs crossed and a laptop on her thighs, she searched for what a trip to Italy would cost. Ah man, that would wipe out all my savings. All those stupid fucking salads would have been for nothing. The words grumbled under her breath. Frustrated, she snapped her computer closed and tossed it to the side. A hellacious yawn took over, and before she knew it, her eyelids were heavier than bricks. She retired to bed, set her alarm for 5.45 a.m., and dozed off. The following morning went as so many had before. She tied an apron around her waist, she grabbed a handful of towels, she unsheathed her knife, and began monotonous prep. Through all the chopping and slicing, she began to daydream about having a nice polished workbench and her own violin shop. Preferably somewhere outside of the city, maybe an old farmhouse enclosed by trees with a one lane dirt road being the only way in and the only way out. The morning sun caressing the tools as they hung waiting for her to use them. The violins hanging from the branches of a large oak tree. Ryulicus would be her moniker. Estonian for serenity. Her mother had deep family ties going back centuries in Tallinn. Val now found herself spinning images of a violin shop hidden deep in that little picturesque town. All her mental venturing came to a roaring crash when the ticket machine started spitting out orders. Fuck, is it 11 o'clock already? She exclaimed. Before she could take a second look at the clock, it was already 2 p.m. Another rushed cleanup, another stress-filled lunch rush, and another afternoon laid to waste by collapsing on the couch and getting absolutely nothing done. In her mind, Val accepted that she needed the rest, but she'd be damned if this is how every workday was going to go. But alas, what came while she slumped on the couch was just another pep talk Just another meal delivered. Just another hours-long binge of Dexter via Netflix. Just another evening not working on violins. Just another evening not refining her skills. Again, the alarm was set for 5.45, and again her eyes felt like concrete blocks slamming down when her head hit the pillow. Exhaustion at times can come from a place of great accomplishment standing and looking over all the things one had managed to finish. Proudly looking inward and being stunned at the reach needed to perform a certain task. Val knew this was not that feeling. What Val felt as she dozed off was a complete devitalization of passion. Things they needed to change. Being a garmanger cook was not cutting it. In fact, it was cutting her down and leaving her behind in its wake. As the world blacked out around her, she once again felt a certain sense of enfeeblement. The last thought that crossed her mind was, I really need to make a change. Then her mind was blank. The alarm. The grumble as she awoke. The sore feet hitting the floor. The sleepy eyes as she brushed her teeth. The bike ride. The apron tying. The knife unsheathing. The chopping. The slicing. The fucking ticket machine. Fuck. My. Life. She screamed silently inside her own head as she slammed down the steel bowl she had just used to dress braised beets and lime and show you. Topping the beets on the plate with crispy fried rice noodles, she calmed herself. Oh, just a few more months and then I can quit, she thought to herself. The word quit lighting up like a neon sign in her mind climbing onto her bike that afternoon val found that she was not as worn out as she normally is i'll go to the shop and work for a few hours that'll be good she thought to herself she stopped for coffee and meandered over to the bookstore across the street on nice days this was the perfect break between the two jobs It was the perfect way to kill a couple of hours that did not involve getting too comfortable on that lumpy couch at home. A cup of iced coffee in one hand and a book on Italian violin makers in the other seemed to be the exact thing that she needed. The bookstore was a converted three-story estate that once held the courthouse before all the government buildings were moved a few blocks south in the heart of the city. The old wood floors creaked and the large windows allowed for a great ambience. She sat at a table that was provided for readers that liked to dive into the books before they purchased them. She sat her coffee down and began to flip through the pages. The words polarizing patterns caught her eye. She sifted back a few pages to find where she had read the words. Val mentally took notes on various ways to construct a violin that restricted the vibration of the wood for multiple tonalities. When the words became droll and boring, she began flipping through the remainder of the book. Her eyes fell upon the last section entitled, Harnessing Spiritual Energies. Her left eyebrow raised and she puckered her lips. What the fuck is this all about? She whispered to herself. Part four, that's good, my boy, the serene voice whispered, soothing Harold's anxieties as his hands slowed their quivering. The DJ from the radio reported on local news in the background. Well, it seems as if we might be experiencing the makings of another brazen and Butcher. You remember that guy out of West Virginia, started torturing and killing animals as a kid, eventually becoming a serial killer. Dale Trainer reported yesterday to local authorities that someone had gutted one of his hogs. In broad daylight, do you believe that? Poor Dale found one of his pigs beaten over the head and get this, the heart was plucked right on out of it. Forgive my French, but that is one effed up thing to do. This is the second farm animal this week to end up dead and missing parts. Lacey Hawthorne reported just a day earlier that one of her goats had up and vanished. Well, that was put to rest when they found the goat a quarter mile away out in the brush. I bet you're thinking I'm gonna tell you the heart was missing. Nope, but that goat was all cut open and the intestines were taken out. Harold kept working, his fingers meticulously but very carefully pulling apart the muscular fibers of the overnight dried out heart. These fibers would then be spun with goat intestines to create the strings for the fiddle he was rebuilding. Growing up dirt poor, especially in rural Texas, many things are handed down generation to generation. One, to preserve family traditions, and two, so you didn't spend money on buying new things. The busted fiddle that sat on the table next to where Harold was hunched over a bin to catch the discarded pieces of hog heart was one of those hand-me-downs. An inheritance from God himself his granny said that first night when she directed him out to the shed where he dug it out of the overhead storage. It requires repair, my boy, the voice echoed off the strained wood. This was on the eve before he slid that buck knife across his daddy's throat, sneaking up behind him while he watched television, drunker than a skunk. Harold made sure his daddy had plenty of beer and a fresh bottle of hooch perched on the side table next to the recliner. With instructions from dear old dead granny, Harold hung the body and drained out what he needed from that man, the man that had beat his sister to death and also shot his mama in the face with a 12-gauge shotgun and had gotten away with it. The first required material for rebuilding the fiddle was blood from a savage animal. Harold nodded at the notion when he heard the words fill the room that evening. As he peered over the bar that split the living room and kitchen in that old house, he eased the buck knife from his back pocket. (laughs) It's been a year now since that night, Harold alone with no one but his granny to talk to. His fingers trembled. He slung the animal guts and pig heart down. I can't do this. I ain't got the hands for it. Harold yelled into the empty basement. He smacked his hand on the table in front of him and turned slowly, nodding in agreement. I guess that's about the only thing I can do. I'm fixing to use that money from daddy's death. The blood of a savage animal he had drained from his daddy's body was only a half a gallon. That'll be more than enough, my boy, his granny had told him. Harold was able to drag the body out into the west field tear a hole in the fence and make it look as if his drunk dad had met his demise from a pack of wild boar. The payout was more than enough for the almost 30-year-old Harold to live out a good and easy life. It was twice as much as when his mom and sister were killed. Hiring a luthier to finish the repairs would be tricky, but Harold had an idea. Besides, I've already killed my daddy a goat and a pig. I bet I got it in me to kidnap someone, he thought to himself. Part 5 Val chuckled while still being completely enthralled by the lore behind violins, flipping through pages of another book outlining their historical importance. Some cultures outright forbade the instrument because it was used to lure lost souls towards the devil. Others held the instrument in such high regard that it was a gift from the heavens. Run a bow across the strings and play certain tunes to conjure rain during a drought. Play it and find yourself richer than you could have ever imagined. Some parts of the rural South believe you can even raise the dead with a fiddle. A fiddle built from the wood of a long dead maple tree stained with the blood of a savage beast Strung with the heart of a hog, she read aloud with a giggle. She peered down at her phone and realized that she was minutes away from being late to the shop. Ah, shit. She grumbled as she hurriedly returned the book to its place on the shelf and dumped her empty coffee cup into the trash on her way out the door. She slung her bag around to the front and slid the bike lock she had just removed into it. Pedaling hard, she made her way to shoes. Ah, uh, "'Sorry I'm late,' she muttered as the bell above the door jingled. Uh, "'You can't be late if you don't have scheduled shifts, my dear,' old Man Shu said through a laugh. Val smirked and nodded her head in thanks. She told him all about what she had read in the bookstore. He indulged her curiosity throughout the evening, expanding on more of the folklore." Telling her how he had cut his teeth out in Texas building violins for churchgoers and bluegrass players when he was a young man. Some of the best violins I ever made, he mentioned as the shop lights went dark and the two of them went their separate ways at the end of the night. When Val returned home, she popped herself down on the couch with a beer and a bag of potato chips. The TV was on, but she was paying it no attention. Her nose was buried in her phone screen as she scrolled through endless information about fiddle-making in the southern states. Remembering what old man Shu had mentioned, she typed in the word Texas, followed by the word violin. Nothing much popped up. She scanned for a few minutes and decided to reword her search. This time, the word Texas was followed by the word fiddle. Again, not much popped up, but a link to a Facebook marketplace ad caught her eye. It read, fiddle maker slash luthier wanted. Family violin in need of repair. Willing to pay top rates. Shallowwater, Texas, just west of Lubbock. Val raised an eyebrow and checked how far Lubbock was from right where she sat. She knew it would be too far for a stroll on her bike, but if a train or bus went there, it might be her first big client. Best violins I ever made. Old man Shu's memory of Texas blossomed in her mind. She typed out a response to the post but then immediately deleted it. She wanted to pass it by Shu before she traveled out to shallow water. She also wanted to pick his brain about the rate at which she should quote the inquiring party. When she awoke, slumped over the armrest of the couch at 5.31 a.m., she was livid for two reasons. One, she had fallen asleep on a couch that she had told her friends many times was the most uncomfortable, ungodly thing on the face of the earth. And two, it's a terrible way to start the day by waking up 14 minutes shy of your alarm. In that moment, she made the decision to cut her time as a saladmonger short. She wrote a quick letter of resignation and printed it from her phone via Bluetooth. Before she crawled onto her bike, she checked on buses that might run out to Shallow Water, Texas. As luck would have it, there was a Greyhound, and there was a stop in the heart of town. Also, as luck would have it, the chef that employed Val valued her work so much that he gave her a severance package of a month's worth of labor, even if she was quitting on him. And he also told her that she was welcome back at any time. She thanked him and prepared herself to work her final two weeks, telling everyone in the kitchen she was traveling to Texas to repair a violin that was a cherished family heirloom. Old man Shu, though, had his reservations about her trip, mainly that she was going to be traveling alone, not anything to do with her skills as an upcoming luthier. You've got the hands capable of creation. Just be careful out there, though. It can be rough in the world alone, especially in small-town Texas. He grumbled. Val laughed it off and then asked, Uh, what's a good rate I should quote them? He rubbed his chin and asked, Family heirloom, you say? Val nodded. Well, I would at least cover your travel expenses and ask for a full pay period of wages, like you make here at the shop. She giggled and thanked him. Oh man, I'm really gonna do this, aren't I? She thought to herself. Later that night, Val sent a message stating that she would take on the repair, but needed two weeks to get her affairs in order, plus a few days to get there. Laying down for the night, she kept refreshing the Messenger app. Her words sat unread. Frustrated, she tossed her phone to the nightstand and rolled onto her side, sliding a pillow between her knees to get comfortable. Part six. Val took a deep breath as she stepped off the Greyhound. She took a look around at the bleak nothingness of the small town, only a few buildings and homes scattered about. Shallowwater, Texas was no Milton, that was for sure. There was a cab across the street from the small bus stop, one of those attached to a gas station that doubled as a garage with a mechanic on duty. She waved at the cab driver who was leaned against the trunk of an all-white Ford sedan with red and blue lettering. The sun was hot and the breeze was humid. She slung her bags into the open trunk and offered up the address. Hey, uh, Harry sent me down to get you. I know where you're going. Don't you worry, little lady. The trucker hat topped Hank Williams Jr. T-shirt wearing cabbie said with a twang and a nod that made Val grin. A few minutes into the trip, the driver asked, So what business you got out here with Harry anyway? No one around here even knows that much about the guy except him being the last of the Belfours. I only know cause he comes into the grocery store all the time. My folks own it, like they own this cab. Hell, lady, all I do is work anymore, he chuckled. Val smiled at the man who was awaiting her answer in the rearview mirror. I'm a luthier. Ah, uh, what? The cabbie chuckled. Someone that builds violins, works on stringed instruments. Harold had an ad on Facebook looking for someone to repair a family heirloom, she said politely. Ah, that sounds about right. Man, Oh, Harry, he's one hell of a fiddle player, he retorted. Val yawned. Hey, not much further. Harry lives out on the edge of town, but hell, the town ain't that damn big. Pardon my French. He made a goofy look into the mirror, causing Val to laugh. Harold Belford took Val's bags from the trunk and paid the driver after introducing himself. Val was struck with how handsome but sad the man looked as he shook her hand. Even the smile he shot at her when he told her it was nice to meet her seemed disengaged, like there was someone around telling him to be welcoming, guiding him to be kind. She followed him into the house. It was bigger than she had expected, more of a farmhouse than a double-wide trailer like she had envisioned. He walked with a swagger through the living room and into the kitchen after he set her bags down at the base of the staircase right inside of the front door. We, uh, I mean, uh, I I made some lemonade. Can Can I get you a glass? He fumbled over his words, offering her an awkward smirk. They interrupted each other. I'd love one. Sorry, I don't have much company around these days. They both shared a chuckle, followed by a sweet few seconds of eye contact. Val bounced slightly and took a step towards the kitchen. Thank you for opening your home and letting me stay here, she said, touching him lightly on the shoulder. The smile he gave this time as he spoke did not seem as forced as the first one she saw. Well, I couldn't have you staying at Dale's. That place is a roach motel. Only one we got here in town, though. He handed her a glass of lemonade and they shared another instance in each other's eyes as they both sipped. So can I see the violin and the workspace? She asked. Harold pursed his lips as if he was deep in thought. "Mm, Let's get you settled in upstairs first. She nodded. Oh yes, yes, of course. Val took a few steps towards the door and her eyesight became hazy. The room began to tilt. Her breathing slowed as she stumbled to the ground, trying to catch herself on the armrest of an old worn out lazy boy. When she rolled onto her back, Harold was standing over her. She blinked a few times, and in those slow, foggy blinks, she saw a woman, old and gray, standing behind the man. When Val awoke, she scurried onto her butt and brought her knees to her chest. There was a harness around her waist with a thick rope tied to a beam above her. She was on a mattress setting on the concrete flooring. Sunlight, dimly lit the room she was in. "'Oh, you're awake,' Harold muttered as he opened an old wooden door and came into the room. He was holding a bag of fast food and said, "'I figured you'd be hungry.' Val looked past him and saw stairs through the open door. He tossed the bag at her feet. "'Burger and fries,' he said as he knelt and placed a soda in front of the bag. "'It's just a Coke. Nothing in it like there was in the lemonade. I promise.' He said, holding up both hands in that Southern, honest-to-God way.
1: What is this?
0: Do you even have a violin? She seethed as she cowered back against the wall. Look, I'm gonna be up front with you. Yes, there's a violin, but there was no way you would have done the work as I'm about to explain it to you, trust me. He said, stepping slowly backwards. He pulled a tarp off a big wooden workstation. Look, you do the work, I'll pay you double. I promise and I'll see you out of town after it's done. Okay. He said again raising his hands. She relaxed a bit Something in his voice seemed honest Look, I'm just gonna shoot you straight. Okay, I need this rebuilt so I can bring my mama my sister and my granny back He pointed to the worn violin and then over to a pad of paper. The instructions are right there I wrote them down for you The rope, it's got enough length to allow you to work, and I swear when you're done, you're free, okay? He lightly clapped his hands together and raised both eyebrows. He muttered softly, I'm gonna just leave you to it. As the door closed behind him, Val heard him say, I'm not killing her too, whispering as if someone else was there with him. She scurried over to the food and ate sloppier than a kid in a high chair. After a rumbling burp from sucking down the last of the Coke, she stood, inspecting the rope tied to the harness. Her first thought was to cut through it, smash the door and make her way outside. But then she remembered how small the town was and how far out this house sat from that small town. Also, the thought of small town ties ran through her head. Maybe everyone here in shallow water was in on it. And she was doomed from the moment she stepped foot off that bus. Above her, she heard Harold bustling around and talking. It sounded like he was arguing with someone, but it was too muffled for her to make out the words being spoken. The words only being spoken by him. There was no other voice. She walked over to the workstation, peering down at the instructions. Blood in a mason jar. Darting her eyes to the corner of the table, she saw a blood-filled glass jar. Strings made in classical fashion with the heart of swine. Her eyes affixing onto one of those trays you would use to change your own oil, containing what she assumed was a half butchered pig's heart. A rattlesnake shaker. To the left of the heart was another mason jar, smaller, with the shaker setting inside. She found herself completely dumbfounded. She had read about violins being built specific ways for a variety of supernatural reasons, but she had assumed those practices were far and gone, brushed away with time and understanding. But yet, here she found herself in small town Texas, being held prisoner until she rebuilt a violin that according to the directions would raise the dead. Fearing the man upstairs may change his mind about letting her go, she did not hesitate to get the job started. The waft of putrid metallic stench made her gag as she opened the mason jar of blood. Upturning her shirt, she held it over her nose and mouth as she stained the wood, watching it drip through the F holes. The strings, which she had only seen be made on YouTube, were next. Like a surgeon, she separated the fibers of the pig heart intertwining them with the goat innards after she did the same thing with those. The rattlesnake shaker was eased from its jar. Being brittle and fragile, Val was terrified it would crumble in her hands. Hours went by like a flash, sweat dripping from the tip of her nose as she meticulously pieced the violin together. When she heard the heavy footsteps descending the stairs, She scurried back against the wall where the mattress she woke up on lied. The lock jostled, the door slowly crept open, and there was Harold with a tray of food, meatloaf, mac and cheese, and green beans. Figured you might want some supper, he said, trying not to make eye contact with her. He peered over at the workstation, gave a quick nod and an awkward thumbs up, turning towards the door and leaving. It'll be done by morning. Val said loudly, stepping towards the door. It stopped from swinging close. Harold popped his head back into the room. Well, my promise stands. When I can play it, you're free to go. This time, Val sensed a tremble in his voice, and she was right. On the other side of the door, standing over him, was his grandmother, whispering in his ear. She must perish like that pig of a father of yours. Before you rise up your bow, we need to end her, or she will be the end of you, and that will be the end of all of us. The door eased closed, and the lock clicked into place. Val continued to work late into the night, picking at the food intermittently between breaks. Standing under the fluorescent light buzzing slowly, she held up the rebuilt violin deep amber in color from the blood of a savage animal. Strings, perfectly tuned, made from the heart of swine, the rattlesnake shaker hidden away within the body. She plucked at the strings with her thumb and thought about smashing it into pieces as she slid a chisel into her back pocket. In her mind, she played out her plan. Stab him hard and swift, so much so that the chisel does enough damage to immobilize him. As she runs through the house, she'll grab her bags. If she's lucky, they will still be sitting at the bottom of the stairs where they had been placed. Run as fast and as hard as she can out to the main road. She clicked off the light by pulling down the string and laid down on the mattress. She fought the flickering of tired eyes, but the room went dark and she descended into uncomfortable sleep. Part Seven. Val awoke to Harold playing the violin. Considering the circumstances, it was the most pleasant thing she had experienced since landing in shallow water. Again, there was a tray of food, this time biscuits and gravy with scrambled eggs. Harold smiled and said softly, I never thought this day would come, thank you so much. Val forced a smile in return. She mumbled, "Can, can I go? Harold's smile diminished. He looked to the ground and placed the violin back on the workstation. Eat your breakfast. You can clean up and hit the road after. She ate, not so much out of hunger, but for the urge to be let loose. Something tugged at her. At first, her forced arrangement with the promise of being let go and paid double seemed legit. But in the day plus she had been held captive, Harold seemed to have been talked out of it by someone that Val had yet to see. Sliding the tray towards him after gobbling up the food, she again asked, this time much more firm, so can I go now? Harold smiled as he picked up the tray. He turned to the door. Let me go drop this off in the kitchen and I'll come down and let you out, okay? The door shut, but this time the lock was not engaged. She listened as the footsteps ascended the stairs, cruised to the left into the kitchen, stopped, water ran, and then they began back towards the door, down the stairs, and that old wooden door yet again opened. Val clenched the chisel in her back pocket. Harold sauntered over to her, much more trusting than someone holding someone else captive should. He asked her to raise her hands above her head. Val did. Harold spun her around softly by the brace. She felt a snap, the padlock coming undone. She held her breath, hoping he would not peer down and see that she had hidden a chisel in her pocket. The seconds passed like molasses. Surely he had seen it, and now he was going to kill her. But she felt the brace fall loose. Harold sidestepped around her, freeing her from it. He said softly, I understand if you want to take off running, hell I would too, but just know you're free to use the shower upstairs before you leave. Somewhere deep inside her, the animalistic rage of being held captive eased, and the rush of being freed inclined her to jump forward and give him a hug. Taken aback by her sudden affection, Harold stumbled backwards, pushing her away, Fearing she was about to be hurt, Val pulled the chisel from her back pocket, but in doing so, losing her balance. She fell hard onto the ground, her torso on the mattress, her legs on the concrete flooring. Harold stood, extending a hand to help her up, but noticed the blood. The chisel had ruptured her side, up through the ribcage and deep into her lung. She fought for breath as Harold fell to her side, trying to stop her from bleeding. When she looked up, she saw someone standing behind him. That same old woman from before. A grin upon her face and malice in her eyes. Whispering something into Harold's ear. Val looked to Harold, deep into his eyes. Tears began to form, and he cried out, No, 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 no! He lunged forward, his hands gripping her neck. She fought as hard as she could, kicking her legs, clawing at his face. But the wind she drew in was painful. She could feel the tip of the chisel jostling inside her lung. The room faded to black, and she felt her body go limp. Part Eight. Harold stood over Val's body. He screamed. Look what you made me do! Look what you turned me into! The voice, normally sweet and wispy, shook the air around him, full of rage. It is time for the raising, rousing up your bow, boy. Harold began to shake, but not with fear. He found himself angry, angry like he was when his daddy killed his mama and sissy. He grabbed the violin from the table and held it high above his head. In the seconds he thought about smashing it to the ground, he looked down at Val's lifeless body. He knew what he had to do. Harold set the violin down and ran pitch over the soft hairs of the bow. By memory, he played the tune his grandmother had hummed him every night for the last 10 years. That eerie notation drowning out the spectral rage of his grandmother as she spewed it into the air. The pressure of the room swirled Outside the house, clouds above, darkened, casting a shadow so dark you'd have thought it was the dead of night. The fluorescent bulbs burst, sending white shards of glass down in a fibrous cloud. Harold played, dipping his elbow down, the rattlesnake shaker spitting rhythmic clatter into the room. A soft green hue lit the basement from the edges of the floor, as if it was being shown upon from below. Val's body jerked. The chisel buried in her side began to glide outward, slowly being pushed out by the wound healing itself from the inside. The muscles in her arms rippled from the shoulder down, fingers exploding out from the palm. The gasp she took in nearly drowned out Harold's playing. Her legs shook, heels sliding back, the knees jutting up. A violent thrust at the pelvis jerked Val to a standing position. Harold's fingers pinning down the pig heart strings, the shaker reverberating, the F-holes now lit from within, the brightest green you would have ever seen. The toes of Val's shoes were the only parts of her now touching the ground, as if she was being held by someone lifting her into the heavens from under the arms. The beams of green light spilling from the violin shot to her eyes and with the deafening crack of a lightning strike outside, her eyes shot open, glassed over like porcelain. Harold winced, but kept playing. A voice came thundering from Val's mouth, deep but harmonizing with each note he played. Val leveled, dropping flat-footed onto the ground, her head dangling down, her hair falling softly as the room fell quiet. Harold eased the bow away from the strings. "Uh, Uh, are you, are you back? He stuttered. Val stumbled and fell onto the mattress. Harold placed the violin and bow down quickly on the workstation, racing over to her. She blinked a few times and tilted her head towards him, eyes now clear, not ghostly white. Uh, did, did I just die? she asked. Harold nodded. Wait, wait, did you just use the fiddle to bring me back? The dismay in her voice was palpable. Harold nodded again. Part 9 the cab driver tipped his hat to Harold, who was standing on the porch. Val groaned as she raised her bags off the ground. The cabbie strutted over. Hey, let me go and grab him for you. You get comfy, all right, he said with a smile. Everything except this, please, Val said, holding something wrapped in a green cloth close to her chest. Of course, yes, ma'am, the cabbie responded. Val climbed into the back of that same white sedan with red and blue lettering, first placing the bundle onto the seat, carefully sliding it onto the far cushion as she sat. The car rumbled as the trunk closed. She peered out the window and gave Harold a soft wave. He smiled and waved back. The cabbie slid into the driver's seat. All right, where are we heading there, little lady? He asked. Lubbock International, please. Val said, smiling at the man in the rear view. The dirt under the tires crunched as he pulled away from the house saying, you got it, I'll have you there in a jiff. As the car eased onto the main road, the bump rattled the chassis. The green cloth bundle fell open. Ah man, that is one hell of a pretty fiddle you got there. Don't think I've ever seen one quite that collar before. Did you buy that off, Harry? The cabbie asked. Val smiled. Nah, let's just say I'm returning a favor. The cabbie chuckled and cocked Val's eyes one more time in the rear view mirror, and he asked, well, did Harry at least play for you? Man, his fingers are so nimble. That boy's so good, I bet he could raise the dead. Val re-wrapped the violin inside the green cloth and placed it on her lap. With a grin, she said, oh, I believe that. Val turned to peer through the rear window. She saw Harold, hands perched on the wood railing, bent over with a smile. A smile that was genuine, because for the first time in ten years, his mind was quiet. As the violin, setting on Val's lap, departed the Belfort land, so did the vengeful spirit that haunted each of his waking moments. This week's episode was track scored, mixed and mastered at the Great Divide Den. I thank you for listening and look forward to seeing you again next week for another case of the Hebe GBs.) <laughs>